Yehuda Gabber with Jewish History Soundbites, and the this week's episode is a bit late, and it's pulled out of the archives, and that's because I'm excited to share that we're back on tour, back exploring our Jewish history roots in Eastern Europe after a year and a half uh, break, and um, back back uh, going on more tours, so we can definitely start being in touch about that uh, that again. Um, the, there are more episodes coming next week. Hopefully we're going to be going back to the great American Jewish cities, uh, series, and hopefully we'll get to do Muncie. So if you'd like to be involved in the sponsorship of that, please be in touch with me and, um, looking forward to many more great episodes. A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gara Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Lusak. Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geberer with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode is going to be a continuation of um, previously started episode on the stories about Ner Yisrael Yeshiva in Baltimore and Rav Ruderman and the other great personalities who are involved with this Yeshiva. And this is part three of uh, of this series. So we're going to continue from where we left off in part two. Part two, we're discussing some of the uh, various Rebbeim teachers, Mashgichim in the Yeshiva, the high school um, for many years was run by Rabbi Yosef Tendler, um, a student of Rabbi Aaron Cutler, who, um, who was the principal of the high school uh, for many years. And um, the Mashgiach, in, uh, who was hired following, uh, following the war when he arrived from over from Shanghai, was one of the great, uh, the great Talmidim of the Mir Yeshiva in Poland, Rabbi David Kronglas. Rabbi David Kronglas was an amazing personality. He passed away in the early 70s uh, at a relatively young age. So he's somewhat um, forgotten today, unfortunately. But he was a very strong, uh, tough in a way, Balmusser, ran a tight ship. In the way Ruderman, his vision of running the yeshiva was he was a bit of a pluralist. He, in, he enjoyed the diversity amongst the yeshiva staff and he respected, he highly respected the the every fl- every flavor, every every 
variety that, that was brought in in an educational sense by the different Rebbeim and the Yeshiva, and he greatly respected Reb David Kronglas. Um, he liked, he liked the diversity. And he used to, Reb Ruderman used to ask the different members of the Anhala, including Reb David Kronglas, for advice about this, to discuss how to run the Yeshiva and how things should be done. And in fact, in Neri Yisrael till today, there are certain customs that were initiated by Reb David Kronglas that Rev, uh, Rev Ruderman deferred to Rev uh, Kronglas, even something so trivial as how many minutes after Shkia to end the Shabbos is, was decided by Rev David Kronglas, or which, which piyutim to say on Rosh Hashanah was decided by Rev David Kronglas, things like that. Um, Rev David Kronglas, like I said, was a real uh, it's, it's a Talmud of Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, the Meshkiach of the Mir, very, very, um, a big Balmusser, and very strong about the rules of the yeshiva, the Sidri Hay Yeshiva, and he would sometimes expel. And he had the right to; that was part of his uh, his uh, uh, his his uh, responsibilities in the yeshiva. That if you broke the rules and he felt that it was appropriate, he would ask a bacher to leave the yeshiva. And very often, these students who were just expelled would go make a beeline straight from Reb David Kronglas to Reb Ruderman, who would forgive them. And he would let them all, he would let them back in, and he would overrule, uh, the, the expulsion, that the, the edict of expulsion would be vetoed by a Ruderman. So David Kongas would say, so you're the Rosh Yeshiva, you're allowed to re-accept them, but now it's your responsibility. You, you, you're letting them back, then you have to, then you have to take responsibility for them. I, I asked them to leave, and that was the, uh, the way that they would, they would have the, you know, the two halves of the education, where they would share it together. In fact, there was a group of guys who, uh, a group of students in the yeshiva who this, I guess this was considered exciting in Baltimore in the 1960s. They decided that one mighty Shabbos, they're going to drive up to New York and buy pizza. And, uh, and Rav David Kronglas didn't approve of that, of leaving mighty Shabbos, schlepping up to New York to buy pizza. That's then, you know, and then uh, who knows when you're going to get back. And Sunday morning, what's it going to look like? He was very firm with them, and he had them leave the yeshiva, and then they went through this thing, this charade, they asked the Ruderman if they could come back, and they came back, and they got a bit of a cold shoulder from David Kronglas after that. David Kronglas was a real altamir, he married late, and he was also clean-shaven for a long time, which was also characteristic of the altamirs. So it was an interesting story that there was a weekend one time during Sphira. And Reb David Kronglas was such an altamir that he that he uh, that he that he for himself shaved during Sfira on erev Shabbos. I guess if he had a reason, I'm sure he, I'm sure it worked that way, you know. But he, that's what he did. I don't know if it was every erev Shabbos, but sometimes on Fridays during Sfira, Saimer Reb David Kronglas would shave. And this weekend. Um, he, there was two major conventions going on. There was a Tyra Masaira educators, Torah educators convention, and there was also a convention for Orthodox Jewish scientists. And uh, Sir David Kronglas was the one who was invited to speak at Torah Masora. And and he shaved on Friday. And Rav Shul Yaakov Weinberg, who was a Rebbe in Israel at the time, was invited to speak. He was, he was, uh, he was you know, he he was involved, he was an educated individual, he was, he was invited to speak at the Orthodox Jewish Scientists Convention. 
And Rosh Yaakov Weinberg did not shave during Sefirah. And so here, both of them got upset. They both got, they both had to take heat for that. Rabbi Krongas showed up shaved at a Torah Messiah convention with Torah educators. He was the only one who was clean shaven there during Sefirah Saimer. And Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg shows up at a scientist convention all disheveled and not shaved. So they, both of them were, they, they got upset at both of them. And that kind of symbolizes Neri Stroll in a way that they can't make anyone happy. They, on the left, they don't like him. And on the right, they're not, they're not yeshivish enough or they're too liberal. They're too yeshivish. So that, that, that story kind of brings out that point. Um, after, after David Krongos passed away, he was kind of never replaced as the Mashkiach. He was a prototype Bal Musser, um, very demanding. And uh, and the Meshgichim who served afterwards were great people as well, but uh, not, not like uh, not like Rav David Kronglas. One time during El, there was a guy who uh, a boy in the yeshiva, a student in the yeshiva, who complained to Rav David Kronglas about the food. He said that they didn't have ketchup by dinner, and Rav David Kronglas said to him, which you know you could you could assume that this might have happened back in the mirror, but uh, you know he was he was saying this in Baltimore. He said, he said, during L, you're concerned about ketchup? That's what you're worried about during L's, L's man? In fact, one time, David Krunglas, during a schmooze he was giving, he said, he said, I, he said, heaven can bear witness that I never missed saying Kriyashma before, after the time of Mugin Avram. I always, uh, said Kriyashma before the time of Mugin Avram, and heaven is my witness. And at that time, and there's eyewitnesses to this, there's actually a true story. At that, just at that moment, there was a bolt of thunder outside. So he was a scary individual. You didn't want to, you didn't want to start up with Rav Krunglas. And Rav Ruderman gave a hesped, delivered a hesped for the Mashkiach. He said that there are very few people. There's a, a Gemara that says that, um, that certain, Certain Tanoim, certain Amirayim, they said, Me'oilam, I never did this, I never did that, I, I always did this, whatever it was, a certain custom or a certain activity. He said, there are very few people that you could say, that they could say about themselves, I always or never did something. There is a certain consistency about them, that they're always constant, and they never change. Their David Kronglas was such an individual. He was a great Talmud Chacham, he wrote a Sefer already when he was in Shanghai, there was another individual who was part of the yeshiva who was not a rebbe in the yeshiva, but he was part of Neri Yisrael. Uh, Lee Copland was the head custodian at the yeshiva. It was a non-Jew, an African American, and one time uh, when he and he and he was part of the yeshiva landscape. And when he when he uh, one time he saw a Ruderman, whenever he saw a Ruderman, he would put on his hat. And one of the other members of the of the uh, of the cleaning crew in the in the yeshiva asked him why are you putting on your hat? He said because Rav Ruderman is the smartest man I know and I have great respect for him. And by the way, Rabbi Herman Neuberger is the second smartest man I know. So that's uh, that's that was part of the yeshiva also. And we're getting back to Rabbi Yaakov Meishe Kolevsky, who he spoke about in part two. So he once related that there was he was taking a walk in Baltimore. And there was a a, a uh, Jewish family, uh, traditional, not not a, not an observant Jewish family, that they had a dog that they named the dog Kugel. And one time when Yakimish Klevsky was walking, so the Kugel, this 
this dog bit him. And he said that normally people bite Kugel. And I'm one of the only, probably the only person in the world that Kugel bit me. So that's, uh, that's another story about, um, Neri Yisrael lore. Um, Rabbi Herman Neuberger at one point was, he was a tremendous communal activist his entire life. One of the activities they became legendary and famous for was, um, was, uh, bringing over Iranians, um, into the yeshiva in Neri Yisrael. And he was very involved with that, helping them get out of Iran after the revolution, before the revolution, after the revolution, during the revolution, and, and helping them uh, acclimate to Baltimore, to Neri Yisrael. There was another person, personality who would not expect to be a Rebbe in, in the Neri Yisrael Yeshiva. That was Reb Simcha Zissel Breide, the Chevron Rosh Yeshiva. In 1981, 19, 1982 and 1983, the early 1980s, he came for eye treatment at Hopkins. So he was in... Uh, in Baltimore, and he would give Chabura, he would give Shiurim in the yeshiva. And, uh, so he's also a Rebbe in Eretz for a short period of time. His Rashiva in Hebron, he was probably the youngest and perhaps the last living, uh, student of the altar of Slabatka. I, I remember when, um, when, uh, Ravram Farbstein's previous Rashiva in Hebron, when his, uh, when his, his widow, Rebetzin Farbstein, when she passed away, she was the daughter of Reb Chaskel Sarna, the, pre- the Rashiva Chevron. So I, I went to the Shiva, and her son, Reb Meishamotcha Farbstein, who was the Rashiva in, in, uh, in Chevron, so someone mentioned to, to, to him, he said, your mother was probably the last one who knew the altar of Slabatka. And he said, my mother did not know the altar of Slabatka. When she was a little girl, she saw the altar of Slobodka. So she, maybe she was the last one who saw him. But one of the last, maybe the last Talmud of the altar was Rabbi Simcha Zissel Breida, from the family of the altar of Kelm. And Ruderman was very excited when he came to the yeshiva. He said, finally, I, I feel challenged in learning with Rabbi Simcha Zissel here. In fact, Rabbi Sacher Frand, who was a major Rebbe in the yeshiva for many years, is still part of the yeshiva. He's also part of the Neri Yisrael story. So he would get uh, he would get a Hebrew newspaper for uh, Reb Simcha Zissel Breide every day. He would usually try to get him the Hamodia newspaper, religious newspaper. Once they didn't have the Hamodia, so he got him the newspaper Yisrael Shelanu, which was a Hebrew newspaper in the United States. And Reb Simcha Zissel Breide said, "Oh, this is what I wanted all along." He finally got it for me. He would actually wear iron rings on his shirt to prevent creasing because. His outward appearance was very important to him. He really personified the Slabatka ideal of godless Adam of greatness of man. If we go back to Rav Ruderman, some stories about Rav Ruderman. Uh, one time he was at, uh, at one of the Neuberger families for Shabbos. And, um, and one of the Neuberger children, he went out to play. So his mother told him, you should go say good Shabbos to the Rosh Hashiva before you go out to play. So he said, Rosh Hashiva, I'm going now, good Shabbos, I'm going to my friend to play with him. So Ruderman says to him, what do you mean, I'm not your friend? He, he, could, he could stay here. Ruderman, um, he had a, like I said in a previous uh, part of this episode, he loved Sfarim. One time when he was in Camp Aguda, he, he bought several Sfarim from a local seller there just to be able to give him some Parnassa to, to support him. Someone who was just trying to sell some Sfarim to make a living. So he bought a bunch of Sfarim. He gave away most of them to his Talmidim. 
But the one who was staying with him in Camp Agada noticed that he he kept one of the svarim, which was a newly printed Mishnas Reb Aaron, Reb Aaron Cutler's Sefer, and it was on Musser, Reb Aaron Cutler's Shmuzin that he gave on Musser uh, uh, topics. And he noticed that Reb Rudim, he noticed him in the middle of the night, he stayed up studying the Sefer till 3, 4 in the morning, uh, the night that he got it, he just couldn't, he couldn't get enough of it. Reb Aaron Cutler's new Sefer, he stayed up almost the whole night uh, studying from the Sefer. Um, a would actually come to, uh, every summer to Camp Aguda for, for a few days, and it made a huge impression. I spoke to people who were children at the time, um, when Reb would come, and it made a tremendous impression on the ones that's a great, uh, Torah leader like Reb who would come to Neri Yisrael. Reb would always quote from a, like I said, he liked Svarim, even obscure ones. There was a Sefer, Ein HaBedoylach. And uh, Rutsi Berkowitz was, uh, again, another tremendous Rebbe in Ner Yisrael till today. So he said over the day that they, they, uh, Rerudeman's highest priority about everything. No machlekes, never have, never get involved in disputes and arguments. Always seek out peace, the peaceful solution. Shalom is the goal for everything in the yeshiva, in Community issues and education, everything has to be shalom, has to be peaceful. And he was incredibly knowledgeable in all these random storms. He would quote this Ein Habadoilach, who was referring to a certain story about his town with a rabbi and a chazin. And he said, It's Mutav Lahasim Tselem Behechol Va'al Yarbe Machloikis Beisrael. It's preferable to put a Tselem Behechol. Uh, God forbid, an idol in the Heichal, in the, in the Beis HaMikdash, but not to have any Machlaikas. Machlaikas would be the worst thing, and a Ruderman would quote this all the time, and he lived by it. He, uh, he sometimes, even when there was an issue in his own family, his grandson, his, his grandson he was very close with, was a Rebbe in the, in the high school, or Matus Weinberg, or Weinberg's son, and, it was controversial and pervasive Tendler. There was tension with it. And a Ruderman who was very close with him, he said, we need no machlekes, shalom. We need to part ways peacefully because shalom is prioritized over everything. That's where a Ruderman literally lived by. And, and there's so many examples of it. Um, he, uh, the way he, the way he always went out of his way. Uh, in fact, there was a shul in, uh, in um in, in more that uh that they were in nineteen fifties they were changing from like many shuls in the nineteen fifties they were changing from uh orthodox to conservative and usually the expression of that was the removal of the mechitza the removal of the mechitza and uh a group of rabbis in Baltimore orthodox rabbis wanted to make a proclamation official proclamation they removed the mechitza now you're officially not an orthodox shul they wanted to make a public Proclamation matter, but they decided to ask, seek the advice of Ruderman before they made such a move. And Ruderman said, "Don't, don't make that proclamation. Don't, don't say it." He said, "He said, first of all, they're tinoikim shenishbu. They, uh, they don't know any better." And he said, "And even, and even if not knowing any better, but if you, but if you, uh, but if you uh, do that, then they'll never come back." They won't ever come back. You're removing them officially from orthodoxy. So, um, so don't make any proclamation like that. So they listened to his advice. And over 30 years later, lo and behold, after Ruderman and most of the rabbis involved in the story had already passed on, it was many, many years later, decades later, 
the shul actually built the, they brought back the mechitza, which, you know, they're officially orthodox all the years, and that's what enabled them to do so. So it was his vision of not having machlek is not creating, uh, creating that, that tension, um, to do things, uh, quietly and without, uh, always seeking shalom, prioritize it, uh, above all else that, uh, that was able to get the solution to that, uh, problem, that issue as well. Um, Rudman cared for his Talmidim very closely. There was in the 1960s, um, there was a boy who showed up at Neri Yisrael wearing a light gray suit. And this is the time when yeshivish was going dark, it was going black and white, and his yeshivish friends made fun of him. So he went and told Rav Ruderman that they're making fun of me for wearing a gray suit. He said, come to my house Shabbos afternoon after, after the, uh, after the chant. And a Ruderman, he shows up at his house, a Ruderman comes out with a light gray frack from his closet that he, he used to, I guess he used to wear it and no one ever saw him with it. He said, let's go for a walk around the neighborhood. We'll go for a spazier. And he walks around with this gray frock together with this boy. And this was to give it a hechsher that he said, you know, everyone saw that he was walking with it. And, um, and this would, uh, this would be a, this would be a, uh, you know, it helped the guy along. Um, Ruderman had a, had a, he always was, he was like an aristocrat. He always looked royal, clean, pure slabatka. He always walked with his hat and his frock, even when he was around family. He looked like a real godless Adam at all times. Um, one time, Rablazer Silver, the head of the Agudas Rabbanim, the Rav in Cincinnati, he visited Baltimore, and wherever Rablazer Silver was, he always he was very famous. He brought his own food. He never trusted anyone. In fact, he would sometimes keep chicken in his stovepipe hat. So he visited a Ruderman, and he brings his own food. So Rebbe and Ruderman gave him a paper plate. So Rablazer Silver said, "What's this paper plate? You're giving everyone else real dishes." She says, "Yeah, but I don't know if we can trust your kashras." So she was able to. You know, uh, get 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 it back at Rebbeza Silver. Um, so the um, the uh, the uh, get 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 over here. Um, another story with a shul in um, in the Glen Avenue shul. Reb Shimon Schwab was the rabbi during that time. So there were Reb Shimon Schwab wanted institute that anyone who's not a Shemer Shabbos. If they're a Kayan, then they can't do the Birkas Kayanim. They can't do Duchening. They can't bless everyone. They're a Kayan, but they don't keep Shabbos. Rebruderman said, let them Duchen. You can let them Duchen. Why? Oh, I got these stories mixed up. This is where he said that, um, that they're Tinaik Shanishba and that, uh, and that, and if you, and if you, and, and he said, if you, uh, and if you don't allow them to duchen, then they'll say, oh, I'm not a kayan anymore. And if I'm not a kayan anymore, then I can marry those who it's forbidden for a kayan to marry. And later on, someone showed Ruderman or Chaim Oizer Grzynski, someone who he had great respect for, that it was printed a tshuva that he said the exact same thing. So Ruderman was very excited that this, this, uh, this psak that he gave to allow a non-Shemer Shabbos uh, Kayin, to allow him to duchen, was previously said already by uh, Reb Chaim Oizer Grzynski. Um, Reb, Reb Ruderman was very, uh, used to get very 
lost in his learning, very concentrated and focused in his learning, was always thinking and learning, and very often repeating Gemara and, and to himself, and he would go on a walk in the streets of Baltimore, he would sometimes be thinking and learning, he would get lost, and he would then go to a payphone and call Rabbi Neuberger to come pick him up. And sometimes he wouldn't be able to even figure out what he is. Rabbi Neuberger would ask him, where are you? He said, I'm the, at the corner of telephone and telephone. Of course, you have to go back to the era where there were payphones. Um, he once, Rudiman was a bit of a misnagid. He, uh, he wasn't excited about, uh, he came from a Hasidic home, but he wasn't excited about Hasidus. And he had, there was a, ta- a student in Eretz who was, who was studying Rav Tzaddik, Rav Tzaddik Hakayin of Lublin. So he called in this student and he said to him, who is greater, who's Tyra, not who's greater, who's Tyra is greater, Rav Tzaddik or the altar of Slabatka? So the boy says, Rav Tzaddik. So Rav Rudiman said, did you ever see the altar of Tyra? The altar of Slabatka story? He said, yeah, I did. So Rav Rudiman said, how could you not see that the greatness of the altar of Tyra? You couldn't even understand how anyone could think that anything in the world is greater than the altar of Tyra. Rav um was like a father. Like I said to his Talmidim, he would hear about a Kailul guy's struggling financially. He literally couldn't sleep until he was able to help them out. He w- he once called the hotel where he knew that a Talmud of his was staying in New York while he was dating someone. And he would call, he called the hotel late at night and he asked to ask the Talmud, how did the date go? And uh, he did not like flying. When he would ever, he would fly, he got sick but he insisted on flying to all students' weddings. So he would actually fly in early. He would rest up to be able to go be the Masada Kedushin, to be able to officiate at his Talmudim wedding. He was a master educator. When Yosef Mendelevich, the great refusenik of the Soviet Union, um, came to the United States, he was scheduled to speak at Neri Stroh after his release from the Soviet Union. And there were Neri Stroh students who wanted to go greet him at the airports. They asked the Ruderman what to do. So some of them he said yes, some of them he said no. There was an inconsistency in his answers. So the guys were curious, why is, there incons- why is he inconsistent? So he explained, he said, Every person, everyone who asked me, I, I, I study the individual. If I see that he's going to be able to stay focused on his learning in the base medrash, then I said, better that you should stay and learn. But I see the guy is too excited. So he won't be able to focus on his learning anyway. So go greet him at the airport. And each one is responded to as an individual. Ruderman once delivered a hespit in the yeshiva for the Panavizharov, uh, who he knew and was very close with from Slabotka. And they passed away in close proximity in 1969. So he said that he related that he remembers that under Mayor Simcha of Dvinsk, the, the Arsameach, when he passed away, Everyone sat on the floor as a sign of mourning. So he asked that everyone in yeshiva go now, go ahead and sit on the floor. And then he proceeded with his hesped. That was also an educational tool. Um, Ruderman would put on his hat and his Shabbos frock every time he got on the phone with Ramesha Feinstein. That was the esteem that he held Ramesha Feinstein. And also a, a way of educating his students about the esteem that one should have for great Torah leaders. He uh, he was when he in the 1930s he was excited that Reb Chaim Brisker's Sefer is coming out so he went to the Sfarim store to purchase it and he found out from the seller that the Sefer only cost three dollars he said how can you sell Reb Chaim Brisker's Sefer for only three dollars so which is a unique uh, you know most people try to bargain down the seller and here someone's asking that it should the pr- price should be raised so the seller went ahead and 
I don't think he had any issue with it, and he raised it to six dollars. Um, um, and uh, we'll end off that there was a student of Ruderman who was talking to Ruderman when he was, he was writing his later years after his stroke, and Ruderman said to him, "What do you do?" And he's, the Talmud answered him, I'm a rabbi in a shul. And a few minutes later, he says to him, what do you do? So again, he said, I'm a rabbi in a shul. And he asked him a third time, a few minutes later, the guy figured that, uh, that he didn't hear him. He couldn't hear well. So he yelled, I'm a rabbi in a shul. Ruderman said, I heard you the first two times. I'm asking you, what does a rabbi do? And the student answered him, and he said, I teach Tyra. And Ruderman said, oh, you learn Tyra with people, that's very good. That was Reb Ruderman. That's a few stories. So this was Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, part three about Neri Stroll and Reb Ruderman. And you can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com, G-E-B-E-R-E-R. For questions, comments, sources, tours, and trips, including virtual tours, check out our website, YehudaGeber.com. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.